The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today, we conclude our look at the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We've been preaching about Article 8, which speaks of the return of Christ, the universal resurrection, and the general judgment. In the first half of this message, we dealt with what happens when we die, and we saw that the Spirit leaves the body and goes immediately to be with the Lord. In the conclusion of this message, we're going to see today what happens when Christ returns. When Christ returns, he brings the spirits of those who have died with him to be reunited with the resurrected bodies that are to come out of the grave. And those who are still alive and remain here when he comes back will be changed. Their bodies that are corruptible will be made incorruptible and will be like Christ. Thank you for staying with us through this series on our Articles of Faith. I believe that they've been helpful to me if nobody else, just to review what it is that we believe here at Zion Primitive Baptist Church. And it's been refreshing to find that the Articles of Faith that were adopted in 1847 by seven charter members are still effective today because they're based upon the Word of God. Stay tuned for a song selection followed by the conclusion of this message from Article 8 of the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. For we can It's important to know that because the next question I want to ask is what will happen at Jesus' return? So we need to know what happens at our death, that our spirit leaves the body, but our, spotty, our bodies stay here. So turn now with me over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. 
We're going to read a very familiar passage if you've ever been to a funeral. Most of the time this is used at funerals. And I want to specifically for you to notice in verse 13 what Paul says. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. You know, I understand that the focus of most churches in the religious world is trying to get dead alien sinners born again for eternal heaven, which the job of the church, that's a job the church never has been able to do and never will be able to do. I can't born anybody again. I can't cause anybody to, uh, to, to be regenerated. That's in the hands of God. But what the church's real job is, the real, the real focus of the church is not uh, getting dead sinners to somehow work up faith within a dead heart, which they can't do anyway, but it's to try to educate those who have been born again that only the Lord can do, only the Holy Spirit can regenerate. It's a new creation. Can you create? I can't create. I can't create anything in me. We're told it's a new creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you go on farther down in that, in that chapter. He said we are a new creation. God had to create it, you see. But I tell you what we can do and what our purpose is. He tells us in Mark, I believe it is, he's going to all the nations, teaching them. Teaching them to observe all the things that I've told you. And that's not a direct quote. You can turn and read it, but that's the gist of it. And you see, Paul's desire here, and he says this so many times, he doesn't want us to be ignorant. Now, I know that word can be, you know, that word is used in a pejorative way today. All that means, biblically speaking, is you just don't know. You don't have knowledge. You know, at one time, Peter and the other apostles were called ignorant and unlearned men. They, they, weren't, they weren't putting them down. They were just saying they've never been educated. They've never been taught. And yet, they'd been with Jesus. So Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have gone to sleep. And I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you, I don't want you worrying. He said, I don't, don't want you to sorrow as those who have no hope. God does not want us to be ignorant of these things. He wants us to understand what happens at death and what's going to happen when he comes back. And by the way, as in most cases, when the Lord wants us to know something, he doesn't try to play hide the ball. He doesn't try to make it so complicated that only a theologian can understand it. So let's look at it here this morning in the time we have left. First of all, when he comes back, there will be a universal resurrection. There's no two-stage return of Christ. There's no bifurcated uh, second coming. All who have died will be resurrected, and those who remain will be changed. Okay, preacher, back it up with Scripture. You know, that's what we try to do here. Because <laughs> otherwise, it's just the, my opinion. And while I think my opinions are good, everybody doesn't. So let's go to the opinion of the Lord, and let's see what he said. In John chapter 5, in verse 28, Jesus makes this statement. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which... All that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good under the resurrection of life and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. That doesn't sound like a two stage resurrection to me. That sounds like them that have done good and them that have done evil will both 
be resurrected at the same time. Jesus didn't know anything about a two-stage second coming, did he? By the way, you say, well, are you talking about salvation by works here? No. Jesus said, or Paul said in chapter 3 of Romans, there's none good, no, not one. There's none good, no, not one. So what are those that have done? You know, in your flesh, do you understand that the plowing of the wicked is sin? The plowing of the What more benign thing can a person do than plow a field? I mean, what moral issues are involved in plowing a field? And yet the plowing of the wicked is sin according to God. You know why it's sin? Because they are the wicked. They have no sense of God. They have no, uh, they have no desire for God. They have no thoughts about God. They're like a Nabal, that, that fool over there that encountered David and was just exactly like his name said. That word Nabal means fool. So you see, those... The only ones that can do good are those that are children of God who've been born again. Because even the good deeds you may do before you're born again are not pleasing in the sight of God. I've told this before. Brother Buddy and I have talked about it. Brother Buddy told me I really messed him up in his thinking about this because he thought he'd done some good. And I thought I'd done some good before too until I really got to thinking about it. But you know the truth is I've never done a good deed that I didn't have some ulterior motive for. I mean, if, if at the very least, if nothing else, I may have done a good, you know, given, given something anonymously. You know, I've told you this before. I've, I've given things before anonymously. That's a good deed, right? Give to charity and not tell anybody. But boy, deep down in my heart, I wanted you to know about it. <laughs> I wanted you to know. I wanted somebody to know what a good guy I am, you know. And well, that's that pride and that self-focus coming out. You can't get away from it. Everything we do is tainted by the corruption of sin. Everything we do. So those that have done good, he's talking about, are those that have been made good by regeneration. They that have done evil, you know, the wicked manifest themselves in their wicked deeds. They do. But here we're talking about, not to get too far down that rabbit trail, here we're talking about a resurrection that involves both the wicked and the righteous. Some teach that there will be a pre-tribulation rapture of the elect and a later resurrection of the wicked. Not taught in the scripture. Not taught in the scripture. By the way, I don't want to get too far into this, but when you talk about the millennial reign, the thousand year reign, that comes from six verses in the book of Revelation, none of which really talk about that. And uh, let's, 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 let's turn over there just for a minute. I, I think maybe we ought to look at it just for a second. Uh, Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, in verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. And for the word of God in which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. 
Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Now, I know that's a lot in there, and I'm, I'm expecting Brother Buddy to explain that specifically and clearly to us when he gets to chapter 20 of Revelation. So, so I'm putting the B on you, Brother Buddy. But this is what I want to say about that. When you get to talking about the thousand years, that's not necessarily an exact time frame of 1,000 years. That's not necessarily, you know, 1,365-day years. You know, think about it this way. What it's referring to is a long period of time. You know, God has never been specific about his timetable. He's not told you or me or anybody else. I don't care what that guy said back in 1988. <laughs> what did he say, 100 and something, 188 reasons the Lord's returning on a certain date. And then after that date passed, he gave 188 reasons why he didn't come on that date. <laughs> you know? But my point is this. God's not giving us a time frame. He keeps that to himself. So what's he doing? He's saying to these first century Christians and to us, it's a long period of time. You know, over in the, I think it's the 50th Psalm. In the 50th Psalm, he tells us he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, does that mean that on the thousand and first hill, he doesn't own those cattle? He's just got a thousand hills here? No. He's using that number a thousand to denote a large number. And he's not being specific. So I don't want to get too far on that, but let me just, uh, let me just say that we don't need to get worried in trying to set dates and trying to feel, fulfill prophecies and trying to figure out all these time frames. Beloved, a thousand years is in the mind and purpose of God. He's got it under control, okay? So back to 1 Thessalonians and getting back on track here this morning. Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. Now here he's fixing, to, he's fixing to tell us how not to be ignorant. In other words, he's fixing to educate us on what's about to happen. So let's just take this verse by verse because it's really simple. First of all, verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. So first of all, it's here again, as in everything in the scripture, it's written to children of God. It's written to those who believe, okay? It's not written to the reprobate, those that don't believe. But I trust that you believe that Jesus died and rose again. So if you believe that, as certain as that is, this next is certain. Even so, them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In other words, there are those that are already dead who are with Christ in spirit, and he's bringing those spirits back when he comes back. It's pretty simple, right? We've already learned that when we die, our spirit leaves the body, goes to be with the Lord. What's going to happen in the resurrection? That spirit is coming back, okay? He's going to bring them with him. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So here's the second point. Don't be worrying about the dead in Christ. We're not going to go before them. That word prevent in that day when it was written in the King James translation meant to go before. But look, we're not going to go before or otherwise prevent them in any way. You, you are not going to be able to affect anything in the resurrection. The resurrection is affected upon you. 
And don't worry about those that have died. Some of these were, apparently were worrying about those that had died and Jesus hadn't come back. Well, what's going to happen? Hey, their spirits are with him. He's bringing them back. And the fact that you're alive is not going to make any difference. You're not going to prevent them. Verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So, so here's the other point. The Lord himself is coming back. He's not sending some minions to, to do it for him. He's not sending some helpers or angels. Yes, the angels are going to be involved. You go back to the 13th chapter of Matthew and read about the parables. He's going to send the angels to gather up the wicked and to cast them into the, the flames of hell. But here we see that the Lord himself is coming back uh, here and, and, and he's going to come back with those that have died. The, and the bodies of those who have died will come out of their resting places first. So there's a little bit of an order to the resurrection. Those that have their spirits in heaven who are coming back with him, they're going to meet their bodies coming up out of the ground. And yes, the body that you have now is the body you'll have then, except it will be changed. Okay? It's not, it's not a, you know, he doesn't erase this body and create something new. This body, as, as, as burdensome as it is to you now, It'll be changed. If we have time, we'll go to 1 Corinthians 15. But if we don't, you go read it. This, cor incor this corruptible will put on incorruption. And this mortal will put on immortality. And we shall be changed. Oh, I, I look so forward to that. So, verse um, 16 says that the dead in Christ will rise first. In verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So if you're still alive, you'll be next. And that's it. That's it. Because notice what that next phrase says. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's it. It's simple, is it not? When we die, our spirits go to be with Him. When he comes back, he brings the spirit with him and the body comes out of the ground and is reunited with the spirit. If you're still here alive and I pray that I am, you don't have to experience death. You're just translated as Enoch was and as Elijah was. You're translated into a body that is fit for heaven. You see, the problem with, with us now is we're not fit for heaven. We're not fit for heaven. If we saw the glory of God in all of His fullness, in all of its majesty, it would just disintegrate us or something right here. We could not see Him and live. Even Moses who said, I just want to see your glory, Lord. He said, you can't see me and live, but I'll show you my backside. <laughs> I'll show you my hinder parts. And when Moses saw the backside of God, when he saw the hinder parts of God, the glory that was, uh, that was sort of displaced onto his face was so great he had to cover his face when he went back down. They couldn't bear to look at him. And he'd just seen the backside of God. Oh, what it will be when we see him in all of his glory. Oh, how we long for that. Do you long for that this morning? I long for that. And as I said, that's, that's it. That's what, you know, you remember what Jesus said to Mary and Martha over there when, uh, when they came to the grave of Lazarus? He said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. See, that covers those that have died. Even though they're dead, they're actually still living in spirit, but they're going to live again in body. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. 
That's the rest of us that are left here if he comes back today before we die. We'll never die. Like Elijah, like Enoch, we'll never die. Praise God, there will be a universal resurrection. And then there's going to be a general judgment. A general judgment. And that goes along with that universal resurrection. Remember back in John chapter 5 and verse 29, it says they'll come forth, uh, they that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. You see, it's a general judgment. Over in uh, Matthew chapter 25, just turn with me just for a moment there, just so we can pick up a couple of verses there. And then we're going to go to Revelation chapter 20 again. But we're told in Matthew 25, in verse 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. That sounds a lot like the second coming to me, doesn't it? He says he's coming in his glory. The angels are coming with him. And at that time, he will sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from the other as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. You'll go on and see as you read down through there. And in, in the first case, the case of the, uh, of the sheep, he says, uh, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And in, in verse 46, for those that are the goats, he says, These shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. You see, when he comes back, there's no first judgment, and then a later judgment, and then some kind of in-between kingdom. Jesus didn't know anything about that. Jesus didn't teach anything about that. Turn over to Revelation chapter 20. I believe what he's referring to in Matthew 25 is expounded upon here in Revelation chapter 20. We know this is the great white throne judgment. The great, great white throne. Notice in verse 11 of chapter 20 of Revelation. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books were opened. But praise God for this next phrase. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Now, I just got to stop here and say this. In the teaching of many in the world today, there's this vision of some scribe sitting up in heaven, writing down new names and erasing others out of that book of life. If you look back over to the 17th chapter of the book of Revelation, we read about that book of life. And we read about those whose names, look in verse 8, Revelation 17 and verse 8. We read about those whose names were not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. You want to know when that book was completed? It's not a work in progress. It was completed before the foundation of the world. The names that are in that book, the names that are not in that book were not in there from before the foundation, from the foundation of the world. And the names that were in there were in there from the foundation of the world. Praise God for the book of life. Because, back over in Revelation 20, 12, the dead are judged, were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. I want to tell you something about that, child of God. You don't want to be judged by your works. I'm telling you. You've never done a good work in your life. 
Now, yeah, you've done, as I said earlier, you've done some good things. I'm sure, you know, helping others is a good thing. But every single thing, I cannot escape the taint of sin that Adam put upon me. I can't, I can't escape it. I can't erase it. You know how I told you how I kept thinking about the resurrection this morning when I was struggling with all the problems on the farm? You know why I was having to think of the resurrection? Because I sure wasn't thinking right otherwise. <laughs> the things I was thinking wouldn't do to tell anywhere, especially not in church. But I had to think about, I had to be reminded about the things of God so it would overcome the things that I was thinking in my heart. You see, it's not our works that we actually do. It's the, it's the tainted nature that we have as we perform them, you see. And said the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. I don't have time to go through all of the first death, the second death, the first resurrection and all that. But just understand that, that the finality that we read about here is what's important. This is it. They've died physically, but this is the second death. This, you might even say it's the last death. Cast into the lake of fire. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Praise God. The opposite of that is true. Whosoever was found written in the book of life was not cast into the lake of fire. You say, preacher, why are they focusing upon these that are cast in the lake of fire? He talked about those whose names were not written in the book of life of the Lamb. Uh, slain from the foundation of the world was because that's what's happened. That, that's what they needed to hear in that day. You know, I need to hear sometimes that the wicked of this world are going to be judged. I need to hear that the wickedness that I see around me is not going to stand forever. And that's what was happening in the book of Revelation. See, the book of Revelation wasn't written as some ah, ho-hum, it's kind of a neat little story and I'll give it to you now. No, they wrote it. It was an urgent message. For those in the, in, the, in the first century, the 90s A.D., we believe, is when it was written. And if, it, if that's the case, and I believe it is, it was during, the, during the, the, one of the greatest persecutions of Christians that had happened in the Roman world to that day. Diocletian, who was, who was a wicked emperor, was putting Christians to death who wouldn't recant, who it was burning them and, and hanging them and crucifying them. And, and they needed to know that the wickedness of this world is not going to stand. I need to hear that message from time to time. I'm rejoicing that the wickedness is being thrown down and that God is being exalted. That's what I'm rejoicing about. He goes on in verse chapter 21 to elaborate on what we read about in our article of faith that we call the felicity of the righteous. That's the joy of the righteous. Notice what he says in chapter 21. And I saw, after all this great white throne general judgment, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, I think he's saying this. I like, I like the way he puts this. I, John, it's almost like he's, He's amazed that he gets to see this. Have you, ever, have you ever been there? I, Chris, got to experience this. You know, sometimes I think about that with the church here. I can't, Lord, I, Chris, I get to, I can't, John's, I, John, I saw 
the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We, we were, it was so sweet to be in, participate in the wedding yesterday and to see uh, sweet Lydia as she's adorned in her wedding dress and her wedding garments as she comes down, walking down that aisle there to meet her husband. But beloved, I want to say to you that uh, the garments of God's people, the bridal garments are not of her making. They are not of her, they are not of her creation. He has clothed us, clothed us with his garments of righteousness. We are adorned for our husband by the righteousness of Christ. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I know our God is with us today. I felt him in the service this morning. If he weren't here, there's no way I could be standing here after the way that I've been feeling today. And I know how you, that you feel it too. I understand that from time to time we feel that sweet spirit of the Lord flow. The, the love flowing from breast to breast among our people and we feel something more than us here but one day we're not going to have to feel him we're not going to have to uh, uh, find, see him peeking through the lattice he's going to be with us we are going to be with him and I tell you in that day notice what it says it says God himself shall be with them and be their God now I know he's always our God I get that but in my mind, he's not always my God. Sometimes my God is the gods of this world. Sometimes work is my God. Sometimes recreation is my God. Sometimes some other thing gets in the way. My family can even become my God. But one day, he will be my God. And there will be no thing in between us. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Praise God. Praise God. What, so what's, what's going to happen when he comes back? All will be resurrected, both righteous and wicked. A general judgment will ensue, and by the way, one thing you'll notice from chapter 20, that great white throne judgment, is that there was no place there for you and I as his children to stand before that great white throne. Notice who it was that was judged. It was those whose works were judged. Beloved, you've been judged, and every single one of your works has been judged, but you've been judged in Christ. I'm not worried about the great white throne. I'm not worried about what happens when he comes back. Because I know my sins have been judged in the perfect Son of God. And I will be raised to eternal bliss. And my joy and felicity will be eternal. Going back to close this out, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 again. Remember that last verse, verse 18? He says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. There was a time I was afraid of the second coming of Christ. There was a time I was nervous. I was like, I don't, this is kind of scary and it's taught that way in the world. Many people use the second return of, of Christ, the second coming of Christ as a way to scare people to try to get them into the church. Beloved, if I ever try to use it to scare you, you know I've gone down the wrong path because I want you to be comforted by the fact 
that one day all of these troubles and trials, all of these struggles will be over. Something that we read there in Revelation 21 as we began to look at it. I didn't really focus on it, but notice it said about the second verse there that there was no more sea. Now that's literal, I believe. I believe really in heaven there's not going to be any sea, but I think that meant something to the Apostle John. You remember that John the Revelator was out on the Isle of Patmos. He was, he was exiled. And that old, dear old, he was probably in his 90s at that time. He was elderly. He'd been pastor of a sweet church that he loved dearly. And I can just see that dear old brother as he's in exile working there in those mines as he sometimes might walk down to the seashore and look at that sea and, and realize that sea is what's separating him from those that he loves. I believe when, it, when John wrote those, those words down, there were tears in his eyes. Because he was saying, there's no more sea. There's no more separation. There's nothing to keep us apart. We're going to separate here today. We're going to have to go back and do other things. Uh, we, we're going to hopefully come back tonight or next week and be together again. But there's a day coming when we will all be together forever. And there'll be no more sea. There'll be no more sorrow. And that's what's going to happen in the second coming of Christ. It's simple. He's coming back with his saints to get their bodies and to get the saints that are left here to take them home to be with him. I hope that this is comforting to you. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.